Atheist Nomads, episode 65, No Longer Witnessing with Chase. Atheist Nomads is proudly brought to you by Archway Hosting. Check out their low-price, full-featured hosting solutions at archwayhosting.com. That's A-R-C-H-W-A-Y hosting.com. We are the Atheist Nomads, bringing you history, science, politics, religion, and interviews with leaders in the atheist community. Not all those who wander are lost. Welcome to the episode of Atheist Nomads. This is episode number 65. I am Dustin. Joining me as always is Wesley. How's it going? And our guest for this episode is Chase. Chase, welcome to Atheist Nomads. Thank you, Dustin. So, Chase, uh, let, let's let's start off with with your background. Uh, tell us your story. Oh, all right. Where to start? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was uh, born into a Jehovah's Witness family. I was the the fifth generation of witnesses. Um, it was a very we call it a pillar family in Washington State. Uh, we we had a very big reputation. We're quite prominent witnesses. Okay, so uh, what is a pillar family? Um, a pillar family, um, my mother is one of five children. Uh, all of them are witnesses. Um, her brothers are elders in the congregation. Sisters are um, pioneers. Grandfather's a elder. Um, so they, a pillar family essentially is just a family that's very involved in witness activities, more than the regular uh, witness family. Gotcha. Man, okay. Uh and I, 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 you're, you're like just f- fresh out, aren't you? Yeah, it's Man. been about, it's been about six months since I formally wrote a letter of disassociation, uh, from Jehovah's Witnesses. So I'm still taking it all in. Wow. You had, you like <laughs> actually made that official and wrote a letter. I did. Yeah. There's a, there's a few ways to get out of, um, the Jehovah's Witness cult. <laughs> <laughs> I took the more, um, direct and clear path of, uh, formal disassociation which is, as I said, writing a letter and turning it into the elder body. And then there's a formal announcement from the stage at the next congregational meeting. Um, that's just an announcement, very brief, saying Chase Kepler is no longer one of Jehovah's Witnesses, and that is the cue for the organizational institutional shunning to begin of the the person. Holy crap. Wow. Yeah, uh, we've talked to one other uh, JW before, but... Uh, her experience was a little little nicer from what I've heard from hers compared to what I've talked to you in the past about. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, uh, yeah, tell me, tell me about the institutionalized shunning. Yeah. Um, it's a very big stick to keep people in line. And they make it very clear that if you're not one of Jehovah's Witnesses, then you are not part of the family. You're not part of the social group. You're not part of the friend circle. So if you publicly say, I don't agree with the doctrine, I don't want to be known as one of Jehovah's Witnesses because I do not agree with the doctrine, then they will kick you out if you don't disassociate yourself. Um, so the the shunning is is quite intense. I, I mean, I, I knew what to expect. I knew exactly what to expect when I wrote the letter. Um, I had seen other family members, not by choice, but uh, through being kicked out for bad behavior, um, go through the shunning process and come back. And it's a terrible, terrible thing to do. You're not allowed to offer a greeting 
or even really look at them in the eye when they when you see them. It's uh, it's very intense and quite quite emotionally damaging. So it, for a witness, being disfellowshipped is it's essentially the same thing as excommunication in the Catholic Church. Being disfellowshipped is a fate worse than death. It's like The Walking Dead. You're you lose contact with everyone you you've known uh, in your entire family. It's it's a big fear for witnesses. So it's it's an effective tool for keeping people in line. Well, and especially since Jehovah's Witnesses don't have hell, you got to have something. Yes, yeah. Witnesses do not believe in hell. Um, they believe in just uh, just oblivion uh, after death. They do believe in a resurrection um, after Armageddon to a paradise earth. So they don't believe, they believe a fixed number is going to heaven, um, but the vast majority of people surviving Armageddon will stay on earth and live forever in good health. It's not a bad, not a bad gig. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as far as the shunning goes, it's, it's made more effective by the fact that relationships with non-believers are very strongly discouraged. Um, association with any worldly people, as they call them, um, is considered bad association in that you don't uh, socialize, you don't do anything more uh, with worldly people than you have to. So business, school, work, those are pretty much the limitations of your interactions with worldly people. Yeah. So do they basically just program the shit out of your day or your week, kind of like the Mormons do? Absolutely. Yeah, your whole... For witnesses, it's not something... And this is something I found that I have to explain to people. It's not something that you just go to church on Sunday and then you go about your week with the rest of your life. You have church on Sunday. And then when I was growing up, you had a meeting on Tuesday night and then Thursday night and then Saturday, you would go out and service. So they really involved a lot of your time. And when you're not specifically at the meetings, you are with witness friends. So the conversation's surrounded by, you know, what the last talk was about, the next talk, what's that going to be about? Um, so it is a, it wraps its tentacles completely around your life. Exceptionally uh, insular. Mm-hmm. Wow. Absolutely, yeah. Man. That, that's one of the things that, that definitely keeps Jehovah's Witnesses counted as a cult and not just another denomination. Definitely. I think uh, if you're afraid to leave, then it is considered a cult. You should be, you should be able to leave without fear of losing your family and, and your social group as a, a matter of punishment. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's not uncommon to lose your family and social group because you have nothing in common anymore and don't have any interest in associating with them. But yeah. that's not a big problem. Uh, forced disassociation, that, that's, that's just creepy. Yes, I and, agree. Well, that's just completely messed up. Yeah. It's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, so I haven't... Uh, that was a big driver in me not leaving when I knew I didn't believe. I By the time I was about... 18 I was sure that I was that I was an atheist and that I could not pursue the life of a Jehovah's Witness for the rest of my life and I wanted to branch out and do other things but I realized I can't tell my parents that I can't be open with them because one I don't have a job um, I'm still going to school two I don't know anyone um, really that I could reach out to who's not a witness my entire social circle is witnesses um, and then of course, you're not being able to build those relationships while you're a witness. It uh, it's kind of a a weird a weird prison that you're not able to escape from. So I remember very specifically being 18 and laying on my bed and thinking, "Wow, I have at least a couple more years before I graduate with my associate's degree before I can really do anything." Um, so it's it was quite a quite a a journey for the last 
three or four years trying to plow my way through it. That's crazy. How old are you now? 21. 21. Fuck a duck. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, swearing completely loud, if oh, you want. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> yeah. Man. All right. So, so let's back up a little bit. Uh, so sure. you knew you were an atheist by, by 18. Uh, yeah. How did you go from being a, a good little uh, witness boy to <laughs> to uh, atheist? Um, it was completely innocent, and it was a progressive experience. Um, I started out in about the, say, about 7th or 8th grade, reading science publications, Popular Science, National Geographic, Discover, Astronomy Magazine, uh, Popular Mechanics, um, and then watching the Science Channel and National Geographic and Discover... The Discovery Channel, and I, and that, that's back when they actually showed like good programming of of science, um, and then it had a a big impact on me. I I loved astronomy first. I became an astronomy geek and learned everything I could about. It. I read all the magazines I could find, watched all the shows, and I developed a really deep respect for the scientific community because they had discovered so many things that I thought were incredible. And the way that they presented it was so humble often. Um, they were willing to admit that there were limitations to their knowledge. And they, they were always hedging their bets, saying, we think that this is what happens. And they explained their arguments very logically. And so I had a, a respect for all the scientific community. Um, and then when I became a little bit older, I became more aware of my religion's stance on certain scientific topics, especially evolution. And that was uh, a big deal. Um, so I, I had the thought, you know, why are all these people, the scientific community, believing in something that I'm being told is a complete lie? These people that I have so much respect for, they just didn't jive with what I had come to experience and learn. So I, I figured if we really have the truth, then it can withstand any challenge. So I dove into evolution, seeking to kind of disprove it, um, just for my own peace of mind. I was being told it was really obviously a lie, so I didn't think it would be that difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it smacked me across the face with its logic and its amount of evidence behind it. And that was first—that was probably the first real big wedge to my faith um, in Jehovah's Witnesses specifically. Because Jehovah's Witnesses do 99% of the work of making you an atheist before you learn anything about science. Um, they One of their favorite pastimes is laughing at other religions for their nonsensical beliefs. Um, <laughs> the Trinity Doctrine, uh, the Hellfire, they all, they all talk about other religions as false and untrue and just uh, man-made philosophies. So by the time that you come to believe that the one true religion is not the truth, you basically have nowhere else to go but atheism. Nice. <laughs> and that's what I found with a lot of ex-witnesses. Um, I'm in contact with quite a few. There's an online community. Of, it's quite large. And the vast majority of them are um, atheists or agnostics, um, which I find quite encouraging. <laughs> yeah, I've had a similar experience with uh, or observations with, with other ex-adventists where likewise without a belief in an eternal hell or, or soul, most of religion just seems ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Going from oblivion to hellfire—that's that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they like uh, punching holes in, in science already, though. Oh yes, they uh, they talk about the scientific community as though it is just an extension of the devil's um, 
conspiracy to take you away from the faith and draw you away from Jehovah. So, yeah, it's it's a big conspiracy theory that they just kind of make the scientific community a monolith that shouldn't be trusted. And scientists are greedy; they're out for their own agenda. They're trying to get money for their for their research, so they'll just say whatever. Um, but that never made any sense to me, knowing what I had known about how the scientific community works. You don't get, you know, recognized by towing the party line of of just saying what has been said. You get recognition and research dollars by proving something extraordinary. Like if evolution was not the truth, there would be all kinds of researchers trying to disprove it and win a Nobel Prize if they were able to to do that. Oh, yeah. Ooh, speaking of uh, Nobel Prizes, uh, Malala Yusuf... Uh yeah, Malala, she just won a, a Nobel Prize. Youngest person ever. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, yeah, just uh, co co won it with a very older, much older gent. But yeah, awesome. Anyways, uh, just wanted to drop that in there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I I didn't, uh, so by the time I was eight, by the time I was about 16, I knew that I was agnostic. I was having serious doubts, but um, not yet willing to say that I was an atheist. And the idea of leaving the organization was never an, a possibility in my mind, simply for the fact that this is just what the family does, and where else am I going to go? But uh, over time, okay, I was by the time I was 16, I was convinced that the organization wasn't the truth, but I was just going to go along with it for the family's sake. But uh, some of the organizational teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses I found to be very morally troubling. Um, the belief that Armageddon is coming any day and that God was going to wipe away human civilization on earth and start anew with the righteous and the meek, led to some behavior among witnesses that I did not agree with. Specifically, one, they did not feel the need to invest at all in this world. So there was Mm -hmm. no concern about environmentalism, um, human rights. There was nothing motivating them to solve any of the world's problems except their only focus was to preach and proselytize because the true solution to mankind's problems was God's coming kingdom. Um, so I found that uh, unsettling, uh, to say the least. I, I strongly felt that we needed to invest in this, this life and make it as good as we could. And then secondly, uh, the belief in uh, Armageddon coming and wiping out the non-believers, I found that to be very difficult to believe and defend intellectually. The idea that men, women, and children who simply don't believe and don't recognize Jehovah as an authority or the organization as God's organization were going to be destroyed. That I found difficult and specifically having to go out and preach about these things and get up in front of the congregation and give talks um, on these subjects. Oh, God. Yeah, it's uh, every witness gets up in front of the congregation and uh, gives five or ten minute talks on specific subjects on religious, on Jehovah's Witness doctrine. Hmm. That's horrible. <laughs> that, that that right there is enough for me to to cringe. Yeah, yeah, it was uh it was public difficult. speaking. Screw public that. Speaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially about rivers of blood and scary awful things. Oh, lovely. Man, uh I was wondering, did did you ever have any family that you thought family friends that you thought might kind of not really believe but again didn't want to leave the community? Yes. Um I know for a fact that one of my family relatives does not believe, um, but is going along with it just to make the family happy. Um, and also for the the fact that they do not know where else they could go. This is the only life that they've known. 
and they've invested a lot of time in this life. And it's for a witness to to think about leaving. It's and I've talked to quite a few about of them, and they agree that it's equivalent to the idea of throwing yourself off a building. Hmm. It's that kind of fear. Um, in reality, I come to find that it's much more like walking across the street. It's not a big deal. But while you, when you're in it, it is the it is equivalent to death. Uh, they have a gun to your head, and to leave is death. It's a very intense teaching. I am so glad I didn't have to go through that. And man, I you're you're seriously kicking ass just just being out. Thank you. Yeah, it's Fuck. it's uh, it's quite a mind screw. Um, the first couple months were were pretty intense. I, even though I, I knew what to expect and I had been par- preparing myself mentally and emotionally for quite a long time, um, just because you see the bus coming doesn't mean it's not going to hurt when it hits you. <laughs> and uh, it did. It, it was an, it was a, a strange experience. After I wrote the letter, I went to the I went to my last meeting um, where they announced me, and I sat in the in the audience and listened to to the announcement, and then walked out right after. And I can remember driving away and feeling such a deep sense of relief. And at the same time, a deep sense of sadness. It was a very strange cocktail of emotions that night. But uh, it is a it, it's a mind screw, and it takes time to get over. And I, if any witnesses are, are listening right now, it it does go away, but it is intense. So I don't want to confuse any of you. It it is awful. Um, but if you face it and move through it, uh, it it goes it goes away eventually. And I'm I would say it took about five months before I felt fully grounded again and confident that's actually that's moving pretty fast in all practicality yeah i I agree i there was a lot of a lot of mental calculus that went into should i stay or should i go and one of the things that i factored in was i'm young i have not invested too much of my life in this organization and from what i've read about young brains is that they are much more adaptable uh than older brains um so that that was a encouraging thing to me to move out while i was still young uh i up to a point i was thinking about just going through it until i was through you know adolescence and young adulthood into once i'm established with a house Mm. and but uh, that eventually lost out to getting out and saving my sanity (laughs) man man oh man so I heard that you're uh, kind of into the the whole secular movement now, and especially when kids are related. Oh yes, um, I was very fortunate to attend Darwin Day the first or second week after I left the organization. Um, my mother was not pleased when she found out that I was <laughs> was going to that. <laughs> uh, while I was there, I had a great time, and I ran into representatives from Camp Quest. And I had heard about Camp Quest on the news a couple years before, and I thought, wow, that is a great idea. I wish I could be a part of that. And for anyone listening, Camp Quest is a secular camp um, which encourages skepticism and free thinking. And its its big selling point is it is a camp beyond belief. It is without religion. And so when I found the, rep, the reps there, they were in charge of the daycare at Darwin Day in Seattle. They were looking for counselors, and I signed up immediately. I said, "This is this is a great way to meet people." I know, I know. This is week two. I know basically no one except for a few people I had met through work and a very meager social circle that I had uh, that I had uh, started. And they are listen those that social circle that I started will be listening to this. So I do want to thank them very much. <laughs> you are the seeds of a great a great beginning. And uh, so I, I had just a few friends that I could rely on. And I needed to grow 
the social network more. Um, so I figured that that would be a great way to do it. And I had a great time at uh, Camp Quest this uh, last month, and I'll be attending again. It, I recommend it to everyone. I heard, I heard the most amazing thing, something about birthday parties, uh, just tons of them all at oh, once. Oh, yes, yes. While I was at uh, <laughs> at Camp Quest, um, I had mentioned to the counselors that I was a Jehovah's Witness and had not celebrated any of my 21 birthdays, and they found that to be completely unacceptable. Exactly. <laughs> and unbeknownst to me, while the camp was going on, they were planning, right under my nose, 21 birthday parties for me at the end of the week once the kids had gone home. So they got me off, off campus um, for a little bit at the end, and I came back and was completely shocked to find um, all 39 or 38 counselors lined up along the driveway holding signs um, as we drive in. Let's say, Chase, they stagger the signs and say, Chase, you spent 21 years as a Jehovah's Witness, but now you're one of us. Welcome to the family. And it was the best night of my life, bar none. It was so much fun. Um, they had 21 stations set up around the camp. And each one has corresponded to the specific birthday. So we started at 21, uh, playing beer pong, and then <laughs> moved backwards uh, through the years. And the idea was that I should be crawling by my first birthday, which worked out perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's see, 16, I think 16 was I got, I got my learner's permit. So they made a little cardboard learner's permit for me. And then uh, I had to take my driving test, which was driving one of the counselors around like a wheelbarrow through an obstacle course. It was it was brilliant. <laughs> the whole thing was outstanding and uh, I still have all the memorabilia from that night. It's terrific. That is fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Man, oh man. So, uh, why why don't uh, J- JWs... Is that an is that an okay thing to say? Is just J Dub? Oh yeah. All yeah. right. Um, I don't know if that's like offensive somehow, but um, why don't they celebrate anything? Great question. Um, most people know very little about Jehovah's Witnesses, but one of the few things they do know is that they don't celebrate birthdays or Christmas. Um, they don't celebrate any holidays actually. Um, Thanksgiving, Halloween, Valentine's Day, and we're given specific uh, excuses for each holiday. Um, for instance, birthdays we don't celebrate because there are only two examples of birthdays being held in the Bible, both of them by pagan rulers, and at both of them, someone was executed. So witnesses think that that means that God does not look favorably upon birthdays, and so they avoid them. However, mm. I was more convinced that it, the moral lesson was to stay away from the executions rather than the <laughs> birthday parties, but... Or, well, you just have a birthday, and then you execute somebody afterwards. <laughs> yes, you just keep them separate. Um mm. But yeah, so each one has a specific excuse. But in my mind, after I left, it became more clear that it was just another mechanism for keeping us separate. Um, What I came to find after I left was most of the time when normal people get together is around holidays, uh, birthdays and Christmas and Thanksgiving and Halloween. They have big events. Um, So if you're not going to those, you are not participating in the social events. So I came to believe that it was another level of control to keep us separate and isolated from non-believers. I remember growing up, we we had a a family right next door and, you know, we would give them Christmas presents and and fudge and stuff like that for the kids. And they were they were happy to take them, but they never gave anything back. I I always wondered about that. And I found out later they were they were Jehovah's Witness also. Yeah, it's kind of odd that they would accept them, even though they wouldn't celebrate it at all. Yeah, I can understand maybe them not wanting to make waves, but 
Yeah, they, witnesses don't uh, hold birthday parties. They don't give gifts on birthdays. Um, and uh, even uh, the the phrase "Happy Birthday" is is not said among witnesses. I would uh, occasionally get a call from my grandmother on my birthday that would say, "I'm glad you were born 18 years ago," or "I'm glad you were." I would have I'd get a card from my mom that said that had birthday crossed out and said, "Glad you were born." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "All right, that's kind of." Uh, I think that's not. Uh, that's more the letter of the law than the spirit, but oh, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> All the different I'm ways to, to get around the rules. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's quite intense. Kind of kind of reminds me of uh, Jewish people sometime. Like, the, the really in, into a Jewish people will, will do things just to get around the, the law somehow. Mm-hmm. Like, an elevator that will stop on every floor or... Yeah. You know, just cross out happy birthday. Okay. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, interesting. <laughs> Man. So what have you got going on with yourself now? What are you, what are you keeping busy with? Well, I uh, have a full-time job, which keeps me quite busy. And then um, I have so many friends now. It's, it's fantastic. Um, going from so little uh, to nothing, just maybe a year and a half ago, to begin, I got my first job at uh, Allstate. Met some, met some great people there. Um, actually moved in with a couple right after I, because after I disassociated myself, I couldn't live with my family anymore. So uh, moved in with uh, a couple from work, which were, were incredibly generous um, and still keep in contact with everyone. So the social life is going fantastic. Um, was actually just at a, a former workmate's house this afternoon watching the football game. Um but it's continually to get better all the time. So I started at Allstate uh, meeting friends there and then uh, went to Camp Quest, met terrific people there, and am now involved on the planning committee of the next Camp Quest uh, next year. So every month they meet uh, and plan the the programming. And then I also come to Ask an Atheist almost every week and enjoy the post-show with friends, several of them who were also counselors at Camp Quest. And I also have a girlfriend, uh, which is terrific. Um, she is a tremendous help in uh, helping me adapt to regular regular life. I don't know if I would be as well along as I am without uh, her help. Congratulations. I, I will say... Thank you. <laughs> I will say for everybody that's listening to this right now, we're actually recording in Sam's studio. Correct. <laughs> and we'll be going to have a drink with Sam and all that in just a little bit here. Yeah. Well, Dustin won't because you're in fucking Idaho. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little hard to get to, here, to Seattle in, in a few minutes. It's yeah. all right. <laughs> we'll forgive you this time. Yeah. It's an hour flight, but damn, those add up quick. Yeah. Cost wise. Yeah. How much is that flight? Couldn't be more than 50 bucks or so. Uh, 100, 150 we should, each way. We should. Really? Huh. We yeah. should fly you in for a weekend sometime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I have to introduce Chase to a whole bunch of beers up in my neck of the woods. <laughs> I love it. Mm. Got some awesome breweries up there. So have you have you started to try to knock out obviously alcohol so far? Yes. And it's been a it's a been a six months of firsts. And birthdays. What what other yes. firsts have you you gotten to have? Oh, let's see here. I 
have enjoyed quite a few R-rated movies. Oh, that is one. Of, that's what I found to be X Witness's favorite thing to do <laughs> is watch all the movies that we weren't allowed to watch, um, and get co- culturally updated. Um, I watched and all, not just the rated R movies, but also movies that uh, feature ghosts or witches or wizards. So Harry Potter, Ghostbusters, big, Ghostbusters, right? <laughs> I like huge pop culture references that we are missing out on all the time. Um, so I watched uh, Harry Potter the first month after I left. Uh, binged watched all of them over the weekend. Terrific, by the way. I still need to read the books. But uh, And then Ghostbusters I watched just last month. Terrific. Still need to watch the second. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I have a huge list of movies that I'm just, I'm running down, knocking them off. Yeah. And then uh, each. So this it's only been six months, so I haven't had a full year of holidays yet. So every holiday is a first. Like this is my first Halloween coming up. Nice. And so I'm looking forward to dressing up and going to a party. Oh, badass. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking forward to my first Thanksgiving, my first Christmas. Um, so this is the first Halloween uh, holiday season. Um, yeah, so there's, there's always firsts um, coming up. <laughs> Holy shit, that is... That is actually really amazing to think about it that way. I mean, man, yeah, Thanksgiving, man, turkey. Right. F- Sam's fried turkey. <laughs> His deep fried turkey is amazing. Ooh, for sure. Oh, oh yeah. It's tasty. Mm. Yeah. Uh, do a giant turkey. Uh, we did a couple of chickens at the same time last year. It was amazing. Can't, yeah. Just potluck the hell out of it. I can't wait to see you here. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and then I would say the the biggest thing that changed after I left was there's a a fear that permeates the air when you're in but not believing. It's a fear of being found out, of being discovered, of being noticed when you're out with worldly friends. Because witnesses, especially if you come from a pillar family like mine, you're well known. Um, You run the risk of, if you want to start cultivating uh relationships outside of the organization, you run the risk of being found out. You run the risk of running into someone at the movies or at, uh, at a restaurant and then uh, them asking, you know, who are those people? Like, oh, they're some worldly friends. Like, what are you doing hanging out with them? Or mm. for instance, uh, reading. You have to be careful what you read and what you're seen reading. So um, my experience of, of uh, magazines I'm not supposed to read is slightly different from other kids I found out. So when my parents walk down into my bedroom and I'm holding the National Geographic, I I, uh, throw it underneath my bed quite quickly and uh, (laughs) make sure that they don't see me reading about evolution. Um, (laughs) So leaving is such a relief in the sense that you're not afraid anymore of going out like to an event like Darwin Day, going down to Seattle for an evolution event celebrating Charles Darwin. Um, I can go to those things without worrying about who's going to see me there. And am I going to get pulled into the back room? Which I'm sorry, that is a, that is a witness ease phrase. Um, they have witnesses have a complete, uh, I call it witnesses. It's its own language. So being pulled into the back room is a phrase that witnesses use for getting in trouble. Um, elders will snatch you after the meeting and say, we need to talk to you in the back room about something. Wow. And get so, talking to, huh? <laughs> Everyone knows what being pulled in the back room means. <laughs> Man, <laughs> as, as a as a pillar, when you were a pillar kid, yes. uh, did you ever get pulled into the back room? Interesting question. No. Um, I was the perfect witness. I was always doing what I was supposed to be doing. Even when I did not believe, um, I was held up as an example. 
as for a witness. And that bothered the heck out of me. <laughs> um, I, uh, I gave talks on, on the theocratic ministry school, as they call it. So, you know, those 10, five, 10 minute talks, um, Wait, I had responsibilities in the congregation. Yes. The theocratic ministry school is what every witness who can speak is enrolled in. Wow. And, uh, yeah, they, they're given, uh, talk assignments almost every month to uh, speak in front of the congregation of about a hundred people and develop a theme given presented to them. Um, <laughs> it picked quite the name for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. The theocratic ministry school. Um, so no, I never, I never got in trouble, uh, up to that point. And then I got in a lot of trouble. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I was, uh, actually went above and beyond the expectations. Um, so I, I did one year of pioneer service, which I have to explain. I was mm-hmm. not Lewis and Clark. I was not a pioneer in that sense. I was, uh, all it means to be a pioneer in, in witness life is that you knock on doors and go, uh, proselytizing at least 70 mo- hours a month. The average p- for a publisher is 12, but, uh, a pioneer contributes 70 hours to the service. And the minimum requirement for a regular pioneer is one year of that service. And then at the end of that year, um, you are given the privilege of attending the pioneer school, which is, uh, a big privilege. So the title of pioneer is is a big deal. Um, it's kind of a status thing. The girls kind of look at you a little differently if you say you're a pioneer. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so it's a the two week intensive course. Um, it's about eight hours a day for two weeks, and it's just I mean it's it's a concentrated dose of uh, of church services. It's and at the end you are mentally drained. I found I mean I was a fully realized atheist when I went through the school. And even I was, you're incredibly open to suggestion after a week of that, just mentally being worn down. Um, so I can see how <laughs> the pioneers that I saw come out of that were uh, locked in. It's a strange phenomenon to see people become mentally locked in after an intensive course like that. Um, so after, so uh, I also served, uh, served three months at uh, Witness Headquarters in uh, upstate New York, at Wallkill, it's where they print the watchtowers and awakes. Ooh! So I lived three months on the compound um, as a construction worker, and you you live, eat, and breathe witness life. It's um, again another big privilege to say that you're a Bethelite is a big deal um, in the witness witness culture. So I, I went to those things as an atheist, and I volunteered for those things as an atheist. One to experience everything that witnesses had to offer. Um, I didn't, I had seen people leave and people would say behind behind their back as they left, well, he never really knew. He never became a pioneer or he never became a Bethlehem. He didn't know what he was leaving. So I didn't want them to be able to say that about me. And two was natural curiosity. I wanted to know what was going on in those schools. I wanted to know what was going on at Bethel because everyone talked about them, but I, I didn't know. Um, and three, I did want to make my parents proud before I completely disappointed them. And... I did. It was it was terrific to see my parents so proud of me to become a pioneer and then a Bethlehite. Um, and I'm glad that they had that and that I was able to give that to them. And I, I'm also glad that I, I knew exactly what I was le- I was leaving. So when I left, I knew what I was getting out of. I knew what they had to offer. And I felt like I was ready to leave. I, I think I, re- I left right when I needed to. So I'm curious about being a pioneer. Uh you're making it sound kind of like you're being a Mormon missionary or a Mormon elder going out and knocking on doors. Um, did you have to go to a different area 
or is it just kind of around your house in a general big radius? Yeah, sure. Uh, every or, every congregation has a territory hmm. that they're assigned, and it's broken up into smaller chunks. Um, and the uh, the publishers, so the ranks, the ranking system is everyone's a publisher, once become baptized. Uh, auxiliary pioneers give at least fifty hours a month, and then regular pioneers give seventy. Um, missionaries are the ones that travel to foreign lands and mm-hmm. do that kind of work. They, uh, they again do at least, uh, they're considered special pioneers. So they do uh, 120 was the, the figure. I think it was just revised downward to the minimum to be in a hundred hours a month, but, um, no. So a pioneer does not necessarily have to go away. They just, uh, cultivate the territory more intensively than the average publisher. I was just kind of curious because, uh, Mormons, uh, when they travel and go out and they have like a, a one male roommate, you know, you know, two guys go out for wherever they're going for a year and they're, they're like, they don't have contact with their family or anything. And yeah. a lot of them meet their, their love of their life when they're out there doing it as with their roommate. Oh yeah. A lot Absolutely. of, a lot of gay Mormons find, find <laughs> their, find their, their path that way. That's the way. Yeah. Not saying that about you at all. No, no, yeah, I. But yeah. I am a total supporter of LGBT rights. Totes. Yep. Um, and that was one of the big things that uh, again made me angry with witnesses the way they treated homosexuals. Even though I, I'm not, I don't identify as one. Um, I do believe in their the right uh, to engage in that. Completely. Yeah. Well, you're saying that they're uh, they're definitely LGBT uh, not friendly. Oh, absolutely. Um, homosexuals. You cannot be a, it's strange that the terminology is you cannot be a practicing homosexual and be a, a witness. Right. Um, they think that God hates homosexuality and will destroy homosexuals at Armageddon. Um, so if you're, if you're just a homosexual, but you're not practicing, then you can be a witness, which I, I don't understand that, that concept. But, um, yeah, that was a, a big deal for me, the, the way we treated, uh, homosexuals. And then, um, getting back to the, the missionary idea. Yeah. I was always jealous of Mormons uh, because they only have to go out proselytizing for a couple of years. <laughs> we do it from the time we can walk until we are in the grave. Um, so they, uh, they have a, they have a small time compared to what we had to do. So I was always jealous of, of that fact. <laughs> yeah. But they get those awesome white shirts and black ties. Right. And they get the name tags and the bikes. Yeah. They a 16 year old elder. <laughs> uh, it makes sense now as to why I've only had Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door Saturday morning. There was a couple of years there where I was sleeping every time they knocked on my door. <laughs> that was when I lived in Tacoma. Hmm. Oh, that was annoying. <laughs> the vast majority of witnesses uh, only go out on Saturday. Um, if you're a pioneer, obviously, you have to go out more often. But, uh, yeah, Saturday is the traditionally dedicated day to wake people up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Man. <laughs> so yeah. Um I heard that you have a notebook that you just fill in with tons of stuff. Like you're saying movies to see and Oh yeah. Things yep, to uh, do. I've uh, I've kept a journal over the last year or so of my experiences, uh, the build up to the Exodus and then the uh the journey afterwards. It's it's quite interesting to to go back and read how I was feeling and uh what I was thinking about. Um through that through that time period, um, as, and as, as I was doing that, I was also collecting uh, other books, um, keeping me occupied as I was 
trying to build a social network and uh, financial resources outside, I was also pursuing a hobby um, inside the organization, which was collecting witness publications. Um, the Watchtower and Track Society is a publishing company. So every year they release new literature in the form of books, magazines, tracks, videos. And over the last 130 years or so, they've amassed quite a library of books um, chronicling the evolution of the faith. So I spent six or eight months collecting as much as I could. Most witnesses don't have a private library that goes very far back. Um, so I, I collected uh, books over 100 years old, and I wow. now I think I have probably the most extensive private collection of witness literature in uh, on the west coast at least i'm sure um and i and i kept it all afterwards um so i, I don't know what i'm going to use it for but it is it is interesting to be able to look at it when i have it all displayed on on bookshelves to be able to go back and say this is what my great grandmother was reading and this is what she believed and this is what my grandparents were raised with and this is what my parents were raised with and this these are the publications i was raised with it is a very distinct evolution i mean the beliefs change uh, quite radically over time. Really? So you've been able to actually see a lot of a, a change arc from from generations? Oh, sure. Yeah, wow. absolutely. You can see going back into uh, C.T. Russell, the founder of the religion, um, he wrote the studies in the scriptures and it was he was heavily into pyramidology, oddly enough, which witnesses today would view as uh, pagan and, and awful and demonism. Um, he was heavy into pyramidology and derived some of his predictions that witnesses embrace today from both the Bible and the geometry of the Great Pyramids. Wow. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that's an interesting idea. And then to see um, the belief that 1914 was going to be the rapture, that was going to be the beginning of Armageddon, and the evolution of that to becoming more of a symbolic uh, presence of Jesus coming. Right. Since it didn't actually happen. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And then the idea that 1975 was going to be the end, there was uh, a lot of, they never, I don't know if they ever came out directly and said in the publications, 1975 is going to be the end, but they are they heavily insinuated. Huh. And I found several of those, like timelines that end at 1975. Nice. And I'm like, and it's interesting to see that. Um, and then afterwards them try to completely ignore the fact that they had done that. So, uh, okay. So I'm curious, do uh, Seventh-day Adventists and... Uh and witnesses kind of share a, a common ancestor? I don't know if they share a common ancestor, but they did originate around the same time. Well, it's okay. um, sort of similar. Uh, mm-hmm. The from, from a technical standpoint, no, but yeah, kind of. Uh, Adventists came out of the Millerite movement. One of the other Millerite groups, uh, one of the ones that stayed with worshiping on Sunday, uh, they did have meetings that the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses attended, and then he went on and founded the Watchtower Society, but it wasn't technically a split from that other group. It was just he got some ideas from them and then started his own thing. Okay. Uh, I was just curious because, you know, there's share some beliefs there. Yeah, absolutely. It is interesting to see that yeah. time period. A lot of a lot of groups were started and evolved from, yeah, those, from that. Uh, those, uh, as the Millerite group started to split, the early doctrinal changes they had uh before most of those splits were uh the doctrine of soul sleep uh you know no no eternal soul uh no hell and they pretty much all split after that and i think the jw's got that from from one of the millerite groups mm-hmm. hmm. 
Okay. Um, I'm curious about the, the whole medical thing also. Uh, some things that just aren't allowed? Yeah, very, very specifically, they are today against whole blood transfusions. Hmm. Now, in the past, they've been against um, different things. Uh, organ transplant, I found uh, passages from publications saying that that was cannib- equivalent to cannibalism. Nice. And that organ transplants should not be allowed by true Christians. Um, and there's been an evolution recently over the last 10 or 15 years so, or so allowing blood fractions to be transfused. Um, so plasma or yeah. um, or different uh, proteins being allowed to be transfused, but still not whole blood. Um, Can you uh, like actually have your, donate your own blood to use later? They get very technical about this. Uh-huh. And if the blood leaves your circulatory tract, then it is no longer going to be accepted by God to be transfused back into you. Damn. So hoping you could loophole that. <laughs> <laughs> Just better hope you've got some nope. good fresh frozen plasma and your hematocrit level stays up. That's right. Wow. Huh. Okay. Uh, what other interesting medical stuff can you think of? You know, it's it's very open uh, to medical practices as long as it stays away from blood. I think they, they allow almost everything other than... Um, other than uh, blood transfusions, one thing that they do talk about s- very briefly is uh, certain vaccines have blood components hmm. in them, and they leave that up to the uh, the individual as a conscience matter, they say, hmm. up to the individual to decide whether they feel comfortable taking those certain vaccines or not. Um, obviously, the insinuation is that it's probably a good idea to stay away from those things. Yeah, I, I believe what that would be referring to is uh, IMIG intramuscular immunoglobulin it's not a proper vaccination it's uh plasma derived antibodies Mm -hmm. and something that you're only given if you have an actual exposure and have not been vaccinated and really need it Mm. they don't give those very often (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so that's uh it's probably a a big deal if you you need it um uh blood sausage any anything that you're not that's not has not been bled properly um you're not allowed to eat um, if it's found out that you've had taken a blood transfusion or have eaten things and you're not repentant, then you run the risk of being disfellowshipped. And I wouldn't have even ever thought of blood sausage. Yeah. I don't yeah, actually really think about blood sausage. <laughs> but. It was never a temptation for me, honestly. Wow. Huh. So where does the, the whole issue with blood come from? Specifically, there's a couple scriptures um, in the Old Testament saying, stay away from fornication, adultery, and blood apparently that was an issue back in the day of uh people that they the israelites did not agree with drinking blood um and they did not like that practice so they built it into their laws that blood was not acceptable and witnesses have taken that to mean also blood transfusions the arguments that i hear today from witnesses are well if a doctor tells you not to drink alcohol would you then inject alcohol into your into your veins well no so if God doesn't want us to eat blood, obviously he wouldn't want us to inject it into our veins. All right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Can't argue with that logic. <laughs> so do they have any issue with, with pork? Nope, no issue with pork. Um, there are really no dietary restrictions other than uh, the, the meat has to be bled properly. So they took the blood portion of kosher and Adventists took all the rest. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is a, it's an interesting thing how they, they put their stake in the ground and toe the line for certain things and, and leave other things to the wind. Yeah. This far and no further. 
I don't know. So uh, you were saying that you kept a journal, but uh, did you ever blog or anything like that? Um, I was, I did become involved with uh, JWR, which, me, which stands for Jehovah's Witness Recovery. Um, I think if you just Google JWR, it's like the third or fourth hit. Um, it's, a, it's a website which has wit- witnesses from all over the world. Um, you have people from New Zealand, Australia, Europe, Africa obviously many from the United States, um, posting about their experience. And up until that point, I had thought that I was possibly the only one with these thoughts and these ideas when I was about, uh, must've been 19 or 20. But when I found the website and when I found so many people actively discussing their experience and found so many people who had the same questions and the same doubts and been through similar experiences, it was like coming home. It was like finding a family that I could talk to and who understood what was going on. And it was it was honestly a big accelerant to my exodus from the witness uh community. I don't I don't know if I could have done it as soon as I did without without their support and uh, their experience. Um I posted often about uh my experience, um engaged in the chat rooms, um and asked questions frequently of of the ones who had left. So most witnesses up to this point who leave are in their late to mid thirties, um, after they've had families. Um, obviously they, they went through my period of life with not much support from the internet. It's only a recent development that we have such, uh, an easily connected community and they have been through everything that, uh, you can go through on your, on your way out. So asking them, you know, what do you regret? What would you do differently? And they said, I would have gotten out sooner. I would not have invested another decade of my life into relationships which will completely cut you off and you will lose when you are honest with them. It's so much better now that I'm out and now that I have people who won't shun me if I disagree with them, we can have honest debates. And that that was incredibly important to me. I, I don't go on it as often anymore. It's the, uh, the whole purpose of it is actually recovery. So they try and help you through your darkest time. And there is there is definitely a a deep trench on your way out that you need help, and you feel completely in the dark. And JWR helps you get through that. And if any witnesses are listening, I highly recommend you going on and reading the uh, the experiences and posting about your experience. Um, so that that was really my only experience with uh, blogging or or online communities. Okay, man. So you you've made it this far, and sounds like life is is far better than it was before you made your escape. How's your family treating you now? I haven't spoken with any of my extended family since um, I, I left. They haven't reached out to me since the announcement, and um, they wouldn't feel comfortable with me reaching out to them. Uh, I I have contact with my father um, every maybe every month or every other month just to discuss business uh, like I'm, I'm still on their health insurance, which is which is great. And uh, but there, there is no fatherly conversations. My mom won't talk to me. My brother won't talk to me. Um, so it's 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 difficult to explain. But the only way I can really imagine it otherwise would be to imagine everyone that I had ever known, all my friends, all my family, being on an airplane, and then the airplane crashes and they're all gone in one night. 
And that's, that's essentially what it feels like. Everyone's gone, and you just have to pick up the pieces and, and move on. Fuck. Have you been in, in contact with Bridget Gaudet? Uh, we had her on a much earlier episode, like in the 20s, I think. And she's dealt with the whole excommunication thing and, and being shunned by her family. And no, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't heard of Bridget. Uh, she's part of the, one of the black non-believer groups down in Florida. Is it now? Uh, she actually helped get a, 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 uh, atheist monument down in Florida a while back. That was oh, pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. She's a really awesome lady. I haven't seen her on Facebook recently either. I have to find her, find out where she's at. Yeah. I do. I do very much enjoy meeting up with ex-witnesses. Um, there's quite a community here in the Northwest of ex-witnesses. I actually went out to dinner a couple weeks ago with several of them. And, uh, it's nice to be able to talk. It's like when I, when I first left, it felt like I had just gotten off the boat in a new country, didn't speak the language, didn't know anybody. Um, and now I'm, I'm obviously much more comfortable with, with so many friends. Um, but it is nice to go back to the motherland every now and then and speak uh, in my native witnesses <laughs> and break bread and t- talk to people about witness life. It is it is a lot of fun um, being able to look back and laugh about our experiences together. I think that's very therapeutic and uh, a necessary part of, of recovering from a, a high control group like Jehovah's Witnesses. Definitely. That, that yeah. actually sounds pretty damn cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Oh, man. Uh, that's that's something the Mormons also do, the, the ex-Mormons. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but likewise, it's a very controlling group. Outside of that, you, you get to, like, Adventists, all we do is, would be sit around and eat haystacks and and uh, <laughs> argue about whether Big Franks or Linkettes are better. <laughs> <laughs> the hell is a haystack, man? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a taco salad that you assemble mm. right before you eat it. And so you, you make had it my to, attention, sir, to order. But now you have my interest. Yeah, mm. they are amazing. <laughs> okay, and of course, one debate you can get on that is regular tortilla chips versus Fritos. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yes. I don't even know what that means, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! All right, so I got a, qu- a couple quick rapid fire questions for you. Sure, absolutely. All right, um, <clears throat> what's your favorite cuss word? Oh shit! I I really like saying shit. All right, it's fantastic. Um, what what things do you love? Sex. Nice. Sex is terrific. Nice. Alcohol, radar movies, um, swearing. <laughs> uh, what things do you hate? Things that I hate. I hate people who are intolerant of other people's cultures and uh, the Dutch. The Dutch. Nice. <laughs> nice. Okay. Good callback. Okay. Dutch listeners. Sorry about that. Uh, watch Austin Powers if you need the reference. <laughs> yeah, and I don't like carnies. You know, they always smell of cabbage. Yes. Yes. Um, okay, also, uh, say that we're all wrong, and, you know, you see God up at the pearly gates when you die. Sure. What do you? What would you like him to say? I would like him to recognize that what I've done has been a complete, honest following of the available evidence that my meager mind was able to assemble and that I made all my decisions based on the best evidence that I had. And if it turns out that I'm wrong, I can say that I, at least I had something to base my decision on. Mm. When's your birthday anyways? November 13th. Ah. There are already plans in motion (laughs) for a follow-up to the epic 
21 mm. birthday bash. Nice. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, sweet. Okay, man. Uh, any questions for us? Any Anything? Uh, um, Honestly, I got to talk to Wes um, a little bit at uh, the Streamathon for Ask an Atheist, but I don't know much about uh, Dustin. How, Dustin, how did you get involved with uh, the atheist community and, and uh, become part of that? Yeah. Started out, well, I was a fifth generation Adventist and oh, okay. uh, got a degree in theology and then uh, spent a year in the Master of Divinity program at the Adventist Seminary and then uh, came to my senses, called it quits, walked away and got a job in the Seattle area and didn't want to think about any of that stuff ever again. And a couple years later, I started listening to podcasts, uh, ended up being a guest on Chariots of Iron and Living After Faith. And then I moved to Boise and got in touch with the atheist community here and uh, was on Chariots of Iron a few more times. And then they went uh, belly up and then we started Atheist Nomads. Uh, Prior to that, I, I started blogging and that was mostly started because I was tired of people asking how the the seminary student turned into an atheist and <laughs> it, it wasn't an easy okay there there's easy answers but for the people who were asking there was no easy answers so i was having to uh i ended up basically rewriting it every time and so i wanted to just have a single place where i could just put it up and just send them the links if they ask and my life was completely different than yours. But, uh, yeah, I, I actually heard Dustin on that podcast that he co-hosted on a couple of times, a few times, sorry. And, uh, then I followed his blog for a while, mm-hmm. started sending him articles and he was like, why don't you just fuck it? Stop, stop <laughs> writing me all this shit and just write yourself. And so I joined him on the blog for what, about a year? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, yeah. why don't we start a podcast? And we're like, why didn't we do this before? <laughs> and so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's how we all met up and got started. I I told you a little bit about my Southern Baptist before. But yeah. Yeah. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I honestly, I, I want to thank you guys. Every piece of atheist media is extremely important. Um, everyone has their own different approaches, their own different tones. And some people might be reached with a specific uh, approach and others with something different. Um, so any way I can support atheist media, I am always, uh, always supportive. <laughs> Badass. Okay. Hmm. All righty. Well, Chase, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you guys. And I, I want to thank, um, just a few people, uh, Matt and Michelle, uh, who are listening. A couple friends I met through Allstate, Ryan and Jessica. Love you guys. Jenny, uh, all the crew back there, super supportive and owe a lot to, um, uh, my second cousin, Drew who we didn't get, I didn't get to talk about, but uh, left a few years ago um, and hadn't been in contact with him. He's been a tremendous support um, for me and everyone at Ask an Atheist and Camp Quest. Love you all. Thank you very much. Definitely. Any websites you want to plug? Anything? Um, JWR, I highly recommend for any witnesses um, who are thinking about leaving or have left and have not found a community of uh, people to express themselves to. Uh, Camp Quest. Definitely. Um, if you are not familiar with them, they are always looking for counselors uh, to, to donate their time or children um, <laughs> uh, to participate in their activities at Camp Quest. Um, it's terrific. Um, can't say enough good things about them and Ask an Atheist uh, as well. Yeah. Sam, Becky, Mike, everybody, they're definitely a f- they're friends of our show and we're f- friends on their show. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Amazing people. Awesome. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Atheist Nomads. You can find us online at www.atheistnomads.com. Contact us at contact at atheistnomads.com or leave us a voicemail message at 541-203-0666. You can also like us on Facebook or leave us a review on iTunes, Zoom, or wherever else you find the podcast. Until next time, this has been The Atheist Nomads.